Welcome to the fourth season of Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA Plus Stories. This is Anne-Marie Zanzel, your host, and I am so excited to share some changes to our podcast that are really great, and I think you'll be as excited as I am about it. First of all, we will be dropping a new podcast every other Friday. This is at the request of our listeners who wanted to hear more. Secondly, my producer, Barb Rowlandson, will be joining me as a conversation partner as we discuss things coming out. Barb is a fellow Leighton Lifer and also the mom of a queer kid, and so she has a lot of insight and experience to share with us. And thirdly, we're going to be focusing also on the beyond. Love to hear your coming out stories, but I want to hear the beyond. Sometimes magical things happen when we come out and we have a life that we could have never imagined. Many of us say this is the best thing that we've ever done. So let's get started. Welcome to the show. Tell me your story. I am so excited to introduce my guest today, Amy Vaughn. Amy is an expert in facing fears and overcoming insurmountable obstacles. Through what she thought was the darkest time in her life, she began to wake up to aspects of her life that she didn't know existed. These realizations sparked an utter dismantling of her life, but was also what she needed to begin to rebuild. Her coming out story is intertwined with her coming out of a toxic and abusive church and coming out of a 30-year relationship with her childhood sweetheart. For a time, she was consumed with grief, guilt, and shame, while also following her belief system and her very identity. Now, Amy is a transformational life coach, helping others to face the adversities in their lives and thrive despite them. Welcome, Amy Vaughn. Well, hello, Anne-Marie. Thanks for doing what you do and oh. uh, inspiring and helping women um, in their own journeys. It's really powerful, the things oh, that you're doing. So thank you so much. And so I'm really excited to talk to you today. So I'm going to ask you, tell me your story. The story. Well, uh, it's it's so funny when people ask that because it's it's hard to know exactly where to start. and. And everybody's what I've noticed, even from listening to your podcast, is wow, I can really relate to every woman's story in some aspect. Like all of our stories are so unique and yet so similar in mm-hmm. so many ways. And I and I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast and seeing the different ways that I can relate to, oh yeah, I felt that. And oh, <laughs> I went through that. And so that's that's been a real uh, that's been so helpful in a lot of ways to stay connected with my own story. But, uh, and my story I've, is really intertwined with uh, my coming out of and leaving uh, a very uh, abusive church. And, um, but I'll say, you know, my, my background and, and really what kind of led to where I am now and coming out, you know, I was born and raised in the Midwest, you know, Midwest girl, rural community, super cute, quaint, Norman Rockwell, 
very white community. And, and so not only did I not see anyone in the queer community, um, right. we didn't see any BIPOC people really. I mean, it was just farmers and, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with any of that, but that's just what I knew. And right. so I was a, I was a child of divorce and, and I was determined when I was a, was when I was a teenager that I would, when I got married, it was, there was no divorce. Like I, I told myself that was not an option. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, but that divorce, what it, what it did for me as, as a kid and, you know, I, my parents did the best that they could absolutely. Yet there was always a sense of not being sure where I belonged. Right. Like when I'm here with this set of, of family, I'm missing out over here. And when I'm over here, I'm missing out. And I never felt quite like I belonged in either. I sort of belonged in both, but not completely. And it was strange. And so that played a part of kind of the journey moving forward with getting, a, getting involved in the church that I, that I was a part of for so long. But I had a high school sweetheart, which was really a childhood sweetheart. We started, well, we went out for two weeks in like sixth grade and, you know, that was it. I broke up. I was like, this is not working. And, um, but, you know, in high school, he started pursuing again and, and I was like, wow, okay. You know, and so in, in a lot of ways we had this storybook, I don't want to say a storybook romance, we were teenagers, but we had, we had a storybook story meaning he was a star athlete. He was the captain of the football team. I was, you know, like I was pom-pom girl. It was, you know, rural Midwest story. Like it's a Hallmark story, right? Right. And I always went back to that for decades. Like we had this special thing. And so there was all of these components of this is what you do. And I loved my husband. I wanted to get married. I wanted a family. I wanted, you know, I, I had big dreams right? We went away to college. Um, Together? We started out in two different colleges. Uh, and then by our third year, we decided to go to the same school. So we both went to the University of Illinois in Champaign. And so, you know, at that time, we were starting, we were, we had been together for four years or so. And, you know, I just said, look, I know you want to get married. I want that too. But we got to find a church. And so we kind of went on this pursuit of finding a church and, you know, that's a whole story in and of itself that I won't go into, but we found a church. Can I Uh, ask? Yeah. um, Were you raised religiously? And yes. Okay. So which with, with mom or dad, were they the both faith, same faith traditions or different faith traditions? They both went to church different places but I always went to church with my dad and my grandparents so I would stay overnight at my grand grandparents every Saturday night get up go to church pretty religiously a few occasions I would go with my mom pretty (laughs) religiously Um, Um, can I ask you what faith tradition that was yeah I was raised uh Baptist okay American Baptist not Southern Baptist Baptist. which is American Baptist is a little bit less conservative than the Southern Baptist. Middle of the road. Well, yeah, but they're they're that's true. But they're stiffer. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> my uh thought was they were we were always like, do not speak, do not clap, do not show emotion. Can I ask you? It's so funny because I know some American Baptist ministers, and I'm wondering if that was more Midwestern. 
And then, oh, I wonder. Yeah, then American, like because most American Baptists are 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 right to more progressive that I know. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. but maybe not in in Illinois. <laughs> not in that? well, and not in this particular church. Like it was literally a cute little church on a hill out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and it, it, and so, and I, and I, you know, I enjoyed it most of the time. Mm -hmm. And, but I questioned, you know, once I got into college, I started questioning and I went back to the minister. I'm like, what are, you know, what are the differences? Like, why, why, why are we Baptist? Like what makes us different than everybody else? And, and honestly, couldn't answer that very well, at least, from what I remember. And I just, I started making some decisions of like, okay, really, God is really important in my life. And I really want to pursue this, but um, this isn't, some of this isn't making sense. Mm -hmm. And then I eventually, I think I went away to college. I tried finding a church on my own. And then I just decided, you know what, I'm going to take a break. I feel like I need a break. And so I took a break for about a year, but then when my then husband, well, he wasn't a husband then, we were dating, um, when we were in school together and I said, look, if you want to marry me, we have to find a church and because I'm not going to like wrestle the kids every Sunday morning, get them to church while you sit in the sofa watching football, like that's not going to happen. And so, and his background was religious, although he stopped going to church at the age of 12, Mm -hmm. but his grandfather was a, was a minister, uh, more like a wet, the Wesleyan. Mm -hmm, Which is conservative as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we both had those backgrounds. He didn't have as much of an interest, but I really had an interest in finding community. That was, it was more than having a relationship with God at that point. It was, I need community. I want community. I want church potlucks. And, you know, I just, I wanted that aspect of community. And so lo and behold, we got involved uh, with the International Churches of Christ Mm -hmm. and naive, not knowing anything, got involved, went to church the first time, went, well, went to a, like a Bible study group. And there were people of every color. And it was like, this is amazing. Right. And so, you know, there were Latinos and Latinas and there were uh, black people. There were people from Indonesia. It's just it was it was mind blowing. And they all got along. And that was what really drew us in. Well, yeah. And you having grown up in a lily white community, it must have been like it was like water. It was so it was amazing. And and to see how well they got along and it wasn't an act. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And went to church, you know, the, for the first time and you saw fam like happy families and you saw the husbands were involved in like they sang, they were, you know, they weren't like bumps on a log or you saw the kids and you were like, they're strangely obedient. <laughs> you know, they, they like, what is happening? And it just was such, it was like, this is it. And then the church spoke about purpose and they spoke about like a mission. And I was like, yes, I want purpose. Like I had big dreams. And so all of those things really spoke to me. And we eventually, uh, you know, we went through membership process, which was studying the Bible, getting baptized. And then, you know, voila, you're, you know, in the kingdom of God. And, and we were quickly put into like leadership roles. Right. Quickly, more quickly than 
you know, I even question that. Like, like we just, I'm sure like, so as both of us are experienced church people, I am sure when they saw this nice, attractive young couple come to their church and really embrace everything, they were like, yes, we need these people. Them, them. Yeah. And I, and yes, that is what happened. And I was, we were told, you know, we were told by one of the ministers as he was leaving and a new minister was coming in. He's like, I want to hear good things about you too. Like, Mm-hmm. It was kind of like you're going places and I want to hear about it. And I was like, oh, can I ask you somebody? Yeah. So Church of Christ is known for no music and all that stuff like that. Traditional. Um, traditional. Yeah. The yeah. traditional Church of Christ. So were you in the traditional Church of Christ? Okay. No. They had music in, with yours. I was just curious yes. about that fact. No, so the ma- what the main line or the traditional Church of Christ churches. The church that I was a part of was born out of that um, movement, basically. And the International Churches of Christ started as the Boston movement. I don't okay. know if you have, because you were you were up in that area. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard about that, but it was a very fast growing church and they expanded very fast. And so it was very exciting. Right. To be a part of that, I can imagine. To be a part. And just, and I remember, I remember hearing a minister say like, you know, there are no divorces in this, in our family, in our global family of churches, like divorce just doesn't happen because, you know, and I just, as a 20 year old, not quite yet married, I was like this because it, it met with my determined, like, I will never get divorced mindset already right and I just thought wow this really is it like this is it and my boyfriend fiance at the time was you know just as much like in and we rose so I don't want to say we rose in the ranks because we really didn't but we did we were raised up as leaders and and soon were in the ministry helping with the campus ministry And yeah, I can imagine that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from there, all sorts of things happened, but there, and there were actually, it's funny because when we started coming around and studying the Bible, there was a 2020 expose done on the international churches and they would say, don't watch it. Like it's going to hurt your faith or it's going to be confusing. It's really like just like, it's really out there. And, and I just, I thought, Hmm. Telling me not to watch it makes me really want to watch it. And I did. Did you watch it? I did. And yeah. I thought, okay, I believe that these people were hurt so, so deeply. And that's really awful. And also, you know, my fiance and I would, I would say like, are we doing the right thing? Like, this is like, there's newspaper article, like there's getting a lot of attention. Like, and he just said, you know, it's hard to believe what you read and what you see on TV too. All we can do is look at what we're experiencing like what are we seeing are we seeing these things are we are we getting that that sense and we both said no we're not seeing that here it didn't take very long I mean there were some warning signs but you overlooked them you just you overlooked them so easily and and after you know some time you started seeing like oh okay I can see that you know, that person was mistreated and that was wrong, but it was like, okay, we're dealing with sinful people. Like 
even who are trying to, you know, they're good people. And, and I do believe that there's a lot of really amazing, good, wonderful, loving people in the ICOC, the international churches today. But when you're so conditioned and when you're so indoctrinated and when you're so, when there's so much fear put into the theological yeah, the teaching, yeah, the how can you leave? How can you leave something that, you know, your belief system is if I leave, I'm going to go to hell. Or if I leave, I have no community because I'll be excommunicated. If your catalyst relationship has ended, we know it can be so very painful. If that's the case, first of all, big virtual hugs to you because I know how much it hurts when you break up with your catalyst. It is so hard. It is. And I know because I have worked with hundreds of women who have had the same experience. If you find yourself struggling to recover from the end of your catalyst relationship, then Barb and I have an opportunity for you that I think you really will love. That's right. So Anne-Marie and I will be holding an in-person workshop this spring that is exclusively for queer women, non-binary people who need support to recover from the end of their catalyst relationship. And we're holding this workshop in my hometown of Nashville, Tennessee from May 16th through 19th. And this is exclusively for people who have had catalyst relationships. You know, breaking up is never easy, but there is something uniquely painful about the end of a catalyst relationship that is hard for people who haven't experienced it to understand. And in this small group, and we have room for just five participants, everyone who is participating is in the same boat. They've all had catalyst relationships too. And you know what's really nice, over the course of the workshop, you can share your story in a safe place, be in the company of people who truly understand what you're going through, and learn tools to help lift yourself up and gain perspective on what you've experienced. That's right. And we're going to be doing some group work, meditation, exercises, but we're also going to have some fun too. Of course, you can't, can't come to Nashville and not have fun, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We are going to go to the world famous Lipstick Lounge, and it's one of the last re remaining lesbian bars in the U.S., and we're going to take you downtown for some good old-fashioned honky-tonk fun. Yeehaw! Well, I can't wait. This is going to be such a blast. So if you need help getting over the loss of your Catalyst relationship, Barb and I encourage you to check out our upcoming workshop. The link to the workshop information page is in the description for this podcast episode, so just hit the link and you'll learn all about what we're doing and if you can please join us and if you can't that's okay we will have more retreats in the future and we can add you to our workshop retreat newsletter list join us make friends do some healing have some fun and be in the company of people who really get you just click that link below and we hope to see you at the workshop uh, i think that one of the things we bought into kind of this mission to help people. And that was really at the core of everything for us. And so as we started seeing things, it was easy then to say, well, gosh, that was not right. But you you just, you overlook some of those things, you know, and then it happened to us. So when you said when it, ha it happened to us, can you talk about that? There were a couple of really big moments. And the, the second one is like the real big one that made everything change for me. But the first one um, 20 or 21, I got married the next year, graduated in 95. So, and then we'd, we'd gotten married. We had quickly soon after got pregnant 
and had our first son. And within three months of him being born, we were asked to move to an, to Springfield, Illinois, and to help lead what was considered a house church. Mm-hmm. So it was a very small group of people. It was kind of like a church planting mm-hmm. that, you know, they, they were a small group, 25 people. We were, you know, our brains hadn't even fully developed yet. You know, we were 20, was I 23, 22, something like that. And so, you know, here we are in this new city uh, leading a group of maybe 25 to 30 people, all older than us, and or uh, the same age and, and, you know, decades older. But like we were so we felt so privileged. We felt so good. We what had started earlier was that we just we were struggling financially. The, the amount that they paid us was not even enough for one person, but that's what they paid us as a couple. And we were really struggling financially. They moved us to Springfield and we were there for six months. And then one day, one of our members called me up. It was a Thursday morning, called me up and said, hey, um, so why didn't you guys tell us that you were leaving? And I was like, what do you mean? We're not going anywhere. And um, she's like, well, I heard about it. Um, So-and-so, you know, somebody called me from another church, from the Chicago church. Um, They called me this morning and said, like, oh, my gosh, like, so-and-so is going to be moved to this other ministry couple is going to be moved to Springfield and, like, take over. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. That's, you know, she must have been mistaken. And she's like, I don't know. That's what she said. And, And I just said, well, I you know, surely they would have told us. And as far as I know, we're here, we're staying here, don't worry. And we got off the phone. And within the hour, we got the call, you need to come, you know, we were told come back to Champaign, we need to talk. So why did they need to talk to you? Was it had you done something wrong? Nope, it was, I mean, that's a it's a it's sort of a messy story. But it, it had more to do with the Chicago church had kind of taken over financially the church that we were leading in Springfield and therefore wanted their own people. Mm -hmm. And they never gave any thought to, you know, how do we shift these? We had just moved. We were newly married. We were in just in the ministry. We had just had our first baby. We get to Champaign and the ministry couple there sat us down and they were like, we are so sorry. Like we didn't know that this was happening either. And we can't hire you back because we've, just hired somebody else to replace you. And so then it was like, what do we do? And there was no consideration that you were a young couple. You just had had your first baby. You had uprooted your lives to move somewhere. And nobody thought to tell you. Nobody thought to tell us. I mean, nobody thought to tell us we weren't compensated for really anything. So uh, the, the couple that sat us down said, well, look, there is this church planting that's starting in March. Like it's starting actually right now. And if you want, you can be on that team that, you know, goes up there and starts a church. And so it was like, well, what else are we going to do? You know, what else are we going to do? And it was kind of like, well, Madison sounds like a fun city. Let's do it. Like, this will be great. And I remember feeling just so hurt that we were, oh, and by the way, I was, I had just found out that I was pregnant. So I was also pregnant with my second when all of this happened. And I was hurt. I was deeply upset and hurt how it went down and just how they could just completely neglect 
a couple who was who did what they did to be in the ministry and you know want with all their heart just to serve God and well, so it, it was like it was so made, painful I it sounds like it made you I would assume very expendable like oh absolutely we are just expendable and yes and 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 can I ask you at that point had you received any seminary training or anything like that oh no Oh, no, no. <laughs> no. And that was kind of, that was for probably, and I, this is a wild guess, but I think I'm pretty close. I would say 90 to 95% of all ministry people in the International Churches for Christ are not trained in the seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, my then husband did go, he is a historian by nature. That's what he was going to school like for in the first place. And so he very much had a theological mind and a historical mind. And so he did go back to school and get some certificates like um, uh, Jewish studies and at, at, you know, at the University of Madison, which had a really incredible program. And that was really life altering in a lot of ways in my own perception of my faith. But very few people were actually trained Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and they were proud of that. Well, yeah, that's it. That's part of like the, the low churches and meaning um, yes. the churches that are not traditional liturgical churches often right. are very proud of the fact that people are brought up through the ministry, through the church. And, yeah. and like, so for example, in the Southern Baptist tradition that will ordain a minister. And sometimes that minister does not have really any theological training at mm. all, you know, yeah. and it's just, they've been brought up by reading the Bible or they, or somebody, and usually in a lot of churches, I, I, you know, I'm curious, I would love to hear, not, I think that would would get off track talking about that. So keep going. (laughs) Yeah. It's a whole conversation in and of itself. And it is interesting, but it is one of those things that it, that it's a very, it's very dangerous. And I felt like I took it really seriously. I took our roles really seriously because because we didn't have that kind of training. My ex had a very different, you know, his viewpoint was very different. How he viewed the context and how he viewed the history and the culture was so different than what we had been hearing for so many years, right? And so I felt like, like you said, this is a whole nother podcast, just the church story itself. But But what happened is we went to Madison Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of hurt. And I remember talking to my husband at the time and, and he said, you know, it was really shitty what happened, but we're here. We're in a good place. Mm -hmm. It's, this seems like a really good setup and we're going to do good things here. And so it was kind of like, we're going to take how hurt we are and we're just going to set it aside because there's a greater mission. There's a greater purpose. And, and so that was kind of always what was happening, you know, over the course of time, like that was really hurtful, set it aside, glory of God, you know, and like, we're doing, we have a mission. And so, you know, we were in Madison for eight years and worked secular jobs. We were not in the ministry. They couldn't, you know, they weren't in the ministry. We then were asked to go into the ministry and lead the campus ministry again. And, you know, we, again, we were struggling because we were so not taken care of from Champaign to Springfield, Springfield to Madison. And when I moved, I was pregnant. I had some complications insurance wouldn't cover me because at that point I was a pre-existing condition, you know, and so like mounting bills, 
never, like just never making it really just by the skin of our teeth always. And that was all we knew. And, uh, and that's kind of what we told ourselves. Well, this is the ministry in the ministry. You know, you're not supposed to make a lot of money. Right. Interestingly though, you know, the people that were in the upper echelons of leadership did quite well. Mm-hmm. They were living in prominent neighborhoods. They were driving prominent cars because they were trying to attract those people. Mm-hmm. Um, where we were not. <laughs> right. And so we, and then at a certain point, um, the, the couple who led the church were going to move and they said, we want you to lead the church. And we went through an interview process. We were hired. And it was then that it was like, okay, we get to do things how we want to do them. Like we see all of these issues. We hear all of these horrific stories about power over leadership and now we we're in charge and we don't have to do things like we can do things a little bit differently and because we weren't I say that we were low rung leaders like we were middle management if that so in a way we could slide under the radar and kind of do our own thing while still staying within the context of you know the ICOC doctrine but we could shift and we could expand the thinking about, you know, God isn't an angry God who's just always like, you know, obey me or else. God is a very loving God and like we all sin. So let's just help each other. Let's just love each other. Let's just reflect all of these good things, right? And so we had a different way of going about it. Our critical error, but also the best decision we ever made was when we decided we asked and asked and asked for training as church leaders and never got it within our churches. And so we decided that we were going to go outside of the ICOC churches to get training. And that was a, you know, big, nasty no-no. But we got buy-in from our lay leaders, our our core leadership group. We got buy-in and it was fantastic. It was some of the best leadership training I'd ever gotten. And we started making some changes to our leadership style even more and and for the like freedom of people to really just, well, what do you think God is saying to you? Why do I need to tell you what I think God is saying to you? I don't know. Like, what do you think? You know, let me ask you a couple things about the theology of that you Mm -hmm. existed with. How did they treat queer people? Did you have gay members? No, no. Not out. (laughs) Yes, not out. They, they had a Oh gosh, now I don't remember what they called it. They had an, a group that was started by a minister who was, well, okay, let me say it this way. Yes, there were gay people who, when they became Christians in the eyes of the ICOC, denied that part of themselves in order to be in a saved relationship with God, which meant they went on to marry traditionally or not at all, but a, there was a gay minister who was married, had been married for a long time, said he was very happily married. They had children and finally got some notice saying like, look, this exists, (laughs) but it was kind of like this exists. And so let's help people instead of ignoring it, let's help people say, yes, there, there is such a thing as same sex attraction, but you can live a right life according to them and according to what they how they viewed the Bible and still like love God, not completely deny your identity, but also live a traditionally. So what did you think of all that at that time? It's interesting because 
in some ways it did not sit well with me because I thought, why this is not fair. Now I will say I had never up to this point, never considered myself anything. I was straight as could be. And there was nothing in my mind that told me anything different. Looking back, I can see a lot of, I can see like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) but there was nothing about at the time that I connected with. And at the same time, I, I did think, gosh, that's so not fair. That's not fair that these, these people have to completely deny everything about who they are and like live this straight life. And, but I also saw it happening. Like I saw, I, I, I knew several people who did that. They married women and they had a family and I thought, well, look, it, it, works for them like okay and so whenever the subject of you know lgbtq being an ally i like faded in the background i'm like that's fine you guys talk about that i'm gonna go clean up the kitchen or i'm gonna like be really quiet i felt really uncomfortable because i knew what i was taught i knew that it was wrong right according to what i was taught It didn't make complete sense. Well, and it sounds like it got to your moral compass a little bit. Sure. You're like, oh my God, these people are asked to give up their lives as as complete human beings in a relationship and pretend they're not gay or not queer, you know? But at the same time, it was one of, it was like, but the Bible says right here, I, I didn't know beyond. I didn't understand. I didn't study. I didn't want to. I did. I didn't concern me. All I knew is, you know, people that I studied the Bible with would say, well, what is your view on homosexuality? And I said, I mean, I think that people should live however they want to live, but the Bible says, so <laughs> to be a part of this church, the Bible says, and it, so you realize, I'm I'm sure you know now that that's the clobber passages, right? Oh, absolutely. And I knew it then towards the end, but as we started, so no, I did not know, I didn't know anybody gay in any context of my life that I knew was out as a gay person. I was so... <laughs> what would you say? I mean, confined. You were in a a box. I was in a little globe of like, so my second question is how are the, how how are the women treated in this? Because typically these are very patriarchal relations, uh, churches and and how were you treated as the female minister? Yeah. Oh, so funny. Not funny, but I remember being a college student reaching out on campus and inviting people. And I remember saying, oh no, this church isn't like all the others because they treat women so differently. Like, like they teach about how Jesus had, you know, these women, he lifted them up. He rate, you know, I had this whole spiel like I bought into because the church would say, well, no, women can't lead, can't speak and teach men. And they can't be like the main leader, but they can lead with their husbands. They can speak on stage if their husband is present, they, you know, but there are, but they had like a women's ministry. Yeah. So they had women leaders who were leading women, (laughs) but there was absolutely like no other kind of leadership. So, and, and my, my husband at the time was like, that's, that's some bullshit. And so when we started leading the church, it felt 
more like a partnership, but he, but there was always the understanding he leads and I'm, and I'm leading with him. And I have a lot of say, like we would have a lot of conversations about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it, but it was always his final decision. You know, if he had sermons, which, I mean, obviously he did a lot of sermons, he would always run them by me. He wanted to know how I, as a, as a woman, as like a regular person um, in the congregation would hear it. Like, do, do these things make sense? He was, he was actually quite brilliant in knowing how to make really complex things about in the Bible, very simple and easy to understand. And so in a way I felt like, okay, I have a, I have a voice, even though I really, I didn't. Women felt like second class citizens in a lot of ways. Uh, single women felt very much like. Well, it's also, it always makes me like go, why would I put myself into an environment like that? You know, like, like why, like I did, I did, but it's like, now I step back and like, why would I put myself into an environment where I was my work and what I did because I was in an evangelical church for 10 Mm -hmm. years. Why is my, you know, is sec is considered second-class citizenship you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just funny because there was just a mind game in a way that like, no, you can't lead, you can't speak, you can't pray in public, you can't, but you can be an usher or you can lead in the kids ministry, or you can, you can do this as long as your husband is right there by you or see how we lift up women. Um, I will say in the church, in the churches right now, in that particular church, there's a lot of like pushback and a lot of resistance but ultimately, I, I believe, and I'm so far removed from it now, but I believe that they're, they they had a final kind of decision. No, women can't lead a church. Women can't, you know, they kind of just went back to, that. we're going back to where, where we were. We love you women. We know you have a lot to offer, but like, stay in your lane. I felt like I had to be the wind beneath his wings. I did not have a voice. So when like, did you start to wake up, Amy? <laughs> I mentioned that we started getting training. We went out to get training. And actually, we came up here to where I live now in Minneapolis, which, by the way, I said I never live up in Minneapolis, and I love it now. But we came up here, and we got training. And the women and the people who led the training were women. And I was like, yes, this is amazing. And they were skilled, and they were brilliant, and they, you know, they were they they could speak. It didn't matter if it was if you were a man or a woman or at that time, not even, you know, there weren't non-binary people in that group that I know of, but it didn't matter who they talked to, they spoke the same. And it was like eye-opening. And so, and at that time also my ex did, he's like, I want you, you're going to start like this sounds kind of authoritative, but he's like, I really want you to start speaking more. I really want, so I'm going to do a sermon and I'm going to have you read the Bible passages, which doesn't seem, that seems like, why is that such a big deal? He, we got pushback. Like mm-hmm. she shouldn't be reading the word of God in public. And he's like, yeah, no, this is what we're doing from leadership within our little church. We, you know, there were just different aspects where he would ask me to lead something, um, which felt great, but also I was under his, you know, umbrella of authority. And I also needed to be, and had to be really submissive to the other men and the other men leaders, um, that we were 
overseeing, you know, that I had to know my place. Very complicated. It was so, complicated. So I just yeah. felt very much like I had something in me. I, I have something in me and I want to say something. And I feel like a lot of righteous indignation is probably what I would have said. I felt just so much indignation about things, but I had no outlet to speak it in the way that I wanted to. So as our time, you know, so a lot of things happened. Upper echelon leaders found out that we were getting training outside of the church, that we were doing things a little bit differently, still had the same doctrine. In fact, the funniest thing is, is we met and exceeded all the benchmarks of what, what they determined was a healthy church. Our attendance was up. People were happy. Giving was way up. People were getting baptized, like, and, and not just like the college students, it was, you know, people from all walks of life. It like, there were benchmarks because we were doing things a little bit differently, but too differently. And so for about eight months, um, we would, we were in and out of meetings, upper, upper echelon leaders. It was intense and it was brutal. And it felt, you know, my ex would say, I felt, he felt like he was shoved into a boxing ring, blindfolded, tie arms tied behind his back and had, you know, was in a ring with five other people and just getting the shit kicked out of him. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was, it was devastating and it was hard. And finally we had one, one meeting a uh, couple from another church who were like our superiors basically said, you guys are exhausted. You've been through so much. This has been a lot. Don't you like, how would it feel to just maybe go away? <laughs> like go to another church. And basically we were essentially shuffled out. We were pushed out of our roles. It's not what we wanted. It's not, you know, we raised our, our family. Our, we have three, you know, amazing kids who were like getting into college and, you know, we, we raised our kids in Madison, Wisconsin, and that was our life. We loved the city. We loved the state. We gave everything to our life there. And then we were essentially pushed out and said, we've got this other job lined up for you. Oh, by the way, not you, Amy, you're going to have to like do your own thing, start a new career because we can only afford to pay, you know, your husband and his role was going to be teacher in this other church. And it was a two-year contract. By that time, we were so beaten, so exhausted that we were like, okay, I guess. And so within the month we had moved and I was wrecked. Mm -hmm. I was absolutely, utterly wrecked, devastated, crushed. Our family was broken. Our two older kids who were in college stayed in Wisconsin. We moved back to um, Illinois. Our youngest was like, you know, I just was so worried about him. And I was just devastated. I couldn't get over it. And I remember, I remember distinctly, um, one of the elders came to our house to check up on us, see how we were doing. Very loving, you know, we were friends with this person. I was just in tears, just tears and tears. And he stopped and he's like, you know, he said something like, how are you doing? I'm in tears. And I'm like, I think that I need to see a counselor. Like, I think I need, I need help. And he said, you don't need a counselor. You, you don't need help. That's why you're here. We're going to take care of you. We're going to shepherd you and take care of you. And you don't need that. And I said, okay. And the funny thing was, he was, and I think still is, a licensed family marriage therapist. Which is telling me, right? yeah, but but here I, am, I knew this person, I trusted him. 
I knew what he did for a living. And I thought, okay, they're really going to take care of us. And they didn't. So what I would really like to hear about is like your coming out. How did that all come about? Two years into this new life, still crushed, still devastated, still angry. And I finally told my ex, I said, I've got to get help. So he agreed. I started coaching. Actually, I wanted a female therapist. I ended up with a male coach who was then and still is my coach and fantastic. And in that time from about May that I started coaching with him and for a few months, helping me process what I had lived through as far as the abuse in the, in the churches that we were part of. And I started growing and I started getting more confidence and I started just flourishing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, started my, you know, started, uh, my school year. I had, I was a teacher at that point. And one day, uh, I walked into, I was, I, it was a normal day, had, uh, went through my classes. We had a staff meeting. That staff meeting was two speakers who were talking about how we can support our LGBTQ students. Now, I was a first grade teacher. In my mind, I was straight as can be. And I was a first grade teacher. And I was annoyed that I had to sit through this staff meeting. Talk, and, yeah. <laughs> because I thought, do you have any idea first how much grade. I have to do? And I'm teaching first grade and I'm overwhelmed with my life, with my work life. And I'm going to be here for like five more hours. Like, I don't want to hear this. Mm -hmm. And I remember at a certain point telling myself, okay, Amy, stop being an asshole. Like these two people are like, maybe I can get something out of this. And so I listened and I, and I thought I'm going to be respectful and I'm going to listen. And they were handing out papers one of the papers was, you know, all of the definitions of the whole LGBTQ. And we're reading them. They asked us to read through them and, you know, talk amongst ourselves uh, about, you know, what we knew, what we didn't know, what was, what questions we had, whatever. And I just remember I was holding this paper and I was reading the definitions and I got to lesbian. I knew what a lesbian was. I don't know, but I read, you know, a, a woman who is attracted to women. And it's not that I didn't know that, right? But something clicked and I just went, oh. the thing was, is because there was, there was a woman at work that I didn't understand at the time that I was attracted to, but I was drawn, I would have said I was drawn to. She was a newbie teacher. I was a newbie teacher, but you know, I had a couple years on her and I took it upon myself to like, I want to mentor her. I want to help her. I'm going to pop in and see how she's doing. Something clicked in that moment. And I remember looking over at her and I just remember, and I, and I was reading through the other things, you know, uh, bisexual, cause like I'm married, you know, and I'm reading that and I'm like, oh, okay. And I jumped back up to lesbian and I thought it, I, I call it still, it's, it's a loving term now, but it was my oh shit moment. Yeah. Everything stopped in that moment. Yeah. I could hear, it was like the Charlie Brown when adults talk and it's like, rah, 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 all around yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, I was in a tunnel and I just kept reading that definition over and over again. And I thought, holy shit, this is going to change everything. Yeah. You knew right away. Then I was like, oh my gosh, there's something to this. And so I went home, I, I called my coach right away. He was like, yeah, um, normal. This is, it's normal. This happens. And I just was like, but it doesn't happen to me. 
this doesn't happen to me. Like I'm the prudy, you know, uh, conservative girl that, you know, was straight and narrow. I went home and I told my husband, I, we need to talk. He sat down. I showed him the papers. I told him about the, the meeting. And I said, I think I'm attracted to women. And he said, I know. Ooh. And I said, uh, what now? <laughs> <laughs> I said, what? How do you know when I didn't know? And he said, Amy, I've known all along. Right. I've known since before we were married. And I was just floored. I was like, we've been married for, at that point, 24 years. We've never had this conversation that you think I'm attracted, like, what? And so we, he talked about, he's like, well, remember this, you know, when you told me about this that happened in, you know, in college, I remember calling him up and I'm like, there's lesbians on my floor, <laughs> you know? And, and he was like, well, what do you think about that? And I shut down that conversation. Like, I'm like, don't be, don't, don't be gross. Like, I'm just telling you, you know? And he was like, that was a really weird reaction that you had. And he's like, from then on, I kind of knew like there was something there. I had no idea. And there were other things. He's like, remember this? Remember that? He's like, you've always like, you've always like done some double takes on women I've noticed. Or I, and I'm like, oh, I guess I am, you know, and I'll say, well, women's bodies are just beautiful. I just, they're beautiful. Like I was an artist. And, and so that, you know, that was my like, well, yes, as an artist, women are it just, sounds, it sounds beautiful. So, I like, I, I recognize like our stories are so similar because I would use this logic of like, I was attracted to women, but I was also smart enough to know that we're used as advertising tools and we are always represented mm -hmm. in art and stuff. So I was able to talk myself, awesome. like, yeah. like I would do this, like, oh, I'm attracted to women because it is so featured in media and art. And so, you know, and then I'd be go and ergo, then I can't be gay. Right. I at least awareness of it and stuff like that. Like, and, and, yeah. like and, but I remember when I told my ex-husband that I was gay, his response was, oh, thank God. <gasps> wow. Because yeah. that meant yeah. him, that meant all the problems that were in our marriage were now. Were you? We're, we're, and yeah. it, it actually wasn't, but it was, could be firmly placed on my queer. Yeah. yeah. Very similar, similar yeah. story. Yes. And, and so, you know, the funny thing was, is um, prior to that realization moment, as I was, you know, going through my, like, everything that happened to us was horrible and injustice and da, 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 I started picking up my, I started painting again, and I hadn't been painting for 20 years. And the interesting thing, and when I look back now, it's so funny because I did this one painting. It was, um, I mean, I just threw colors on and I just, it was an abstract. And when it was done, I was like, oh, Lord Vision. That was my title, Lord Vision. Didn't think anything of it until later. And I was like, Lord Vision, uh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> Vision. My another painting that I did, um, I, I have it over here. It it was um it's of a woman. I always I started painting pictures of naked women, basically, but it was this it was uh an abstract of a woman facing forward. It was she looks like she's emerging and she has uh like her heart. You can see her heart is exposed. And I thought, wow, like that was and I titled that Becoming. Because in my mind at that point, I was becoming, I was, there was, I was coming out of all this hard 
messy church stuff. And I was kind of claiming something for myself, but I didn't know yet. Right. And then I started, you know, I started painting some other paintings that, um, and I realized later when I, after I'd come out, I'm like, I'm just painting a lot of naked women. (laughs) All righty then. Um, so, you know, but I came out to my husband and he was so supportive and he, he really, he said, you know, you have to be who you are fully, and this is who you are. And we're going to work through this. We're going to, we're going to work through this and figure this out. And I really believed we, I, I loved him. We had problems, you know, we had uh, many things came back to our intimacy and how it was so hard for me. Uh, he, he wanted more. I wanted less, like, you know, and, you know, and, and as you know, in the church, it was like, wives take care of your husbands. Yes. Yeah, submit to your right. Husband. And, but we, but we we were committed to working this out. We really wanted to work it out and we tried really hard and we, you know, but, and I also told him that same day, I said, you know, there's, there actually were a couple of gay women in my school. And I said, you know, there's a couple of women I'm kind of attracted to. And he just said, well, get to know them. Like, you don't know anybody who's gay and who's a lesbian. So like, get to know them, build a friendship and see what happens. And I said, okay. And so I started, you know, kind of pursuing this one particular woman and trying to build a friendship. And I would invite her out, like, let's go lesson plan on Sundays. And I would, you know, tell my husband, he always knew where I was and who I was with. And I would come back and I'd be like, I think I really like her. Like, I think I really like her. And he's like, well, see where it goes. Very, op- you know, very open-minded. And and I was like, okay. You know, and so I did. And at one point I told her like, look, I'm, I know I'm married. I think I'm bi. I don't really know, but like, I like you. And, you know, she was like, well, I like you too, but I just, I knew you were married and I just didn't want to be disrespectful. And, and so we started having, you know, spending more time together and more time together and, you know, telling my husband as far as like, yeah, I really, you know, I really like this person. And he would continue to say like, well, you're not going to know if you're really a lesbian until you really know your, <laughs> until you have that an experience. And so that developed over time. And what I realized was, oh my God. And I couldn't say the word lesbian at the time. It was, I was, I could say I'm not straight, mm-hmm. but I couldn't at the time say that. Well, that's what I, you know, with, with the clients I work with, we start with the, we start, our denominator is I'm, you may not be straight. And that's it, which is very, very normal in the beginning of discovering your sexuality. Yes. So, you know, I'm going through the, I'm going through spiritually, like, what does this mean for me? Like I'm accepting of, of gay people, but now I'm one of them. And so now what do I really think? And so I had to go through, you know, I was going through that and I was already at that point had decided I'm leaving this church. Like I, they have abused us enough I can't do it anymore and I'm not going to be a, a part of it. And I had decided we had, we had made a decision that we were going to leave together um, when his contract was up, which was only like a couple months away. So I was processing coming out of the church and leaving the church and everything I knew for my entire adult life. And then I was starting to understand I'm coming out, but we kept it very, it was the only people who knew that I wasn't straight was, you know, my husband. Uh, the woman that I was seeing and my coach. 
And that was it. But then things got really hard in my marriage because as I was understanding more and more like, oh my gosh, I don't even think, I don't think I'm a bisexual. I think I'm full on. I think I'm a lesbian. And my, my husband at the time was very, I mean, it was almost proud, like, wow, I'm married to a lesbian and she still like loves me and wants to have sex with me. But the reality was, is like, I don't know, like I'm willing to, because I love you. And because we're committed and because I said I'd never divorce, but I want this less and less and less. And well, his response was pretty typical of a lot of guys. Um, a lot of guys respond exactly how your husband does did. And but the thing is, is what the and, and I hear a patriarchal response because he's like, oh, go and explore. But if you were saying this about a man, like I think I need to be in, he would never in a billion years say to you, go and explore. Because inherently mm-hmm. patriarchal cultures and especially patriarchal religions, women are less than. So yes, well, they were seen as property for in the Bible. So yeah, so the religion, so like, so you know, a lot of guys say, Oh, yeah, go and explore. Wife does, realizes she may not be gay, realizes, I mean, she may be gay, realizes that she may not want to be married, and that's when the shit hits the fan. (laughs) And that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah, It's very you know, I yeah, so there was just there was so much of that. And you know, I still didn't want to get divorced. We were fighting and it was intense and it was hard and it was painful. And, you know, when he mentioned the D word, it was like, what? Like we said, we were going to work through this. You know, I've, I've given you 30 years. We've been together 30 years. I've for 30 years, not quite, uh, we didn't start having sex immediately, but you know, for for our entire marriage and some of when we were dating, I've given to you intimately. Can you give me some time to figure it out? I was still questioning, like, am I really? Like, this is certainly a phase. This is this has to be a phase. This can't be real. This can't be my life. How am I going to live? How am I going to survive this? You know, all of these things. You know, I remember having a conversation with my aunt, who's a, a coach as well. And, you know, she she, like, you know, a lot of us, talk about like if you're wondering if you're a lesbian if you're staying up late at night yeah. and questioning that chances are really good yeah you're you're probably well, a lesbian, you right? know straight girls and, don't lie awake at night wondering if they're right they just yeah. don't and so it was just like oh shoot there this is like gonna be this is really something and the other important thing that she told me was look what you're going through is so you know leaving the ch- this church leaving, you know, coming out, potentially getting divorced, like this unraveling is so life-changing that for people who go through events that are, that change the way they view themselves and the world and others, and, you know, whether it's death, divorce, disease, whatever, it often takes people three to five years to come full circle to feeling like themselves, not again, but really like living into who they they are yeah in in their new reality yeah and I thought three to five years heck no the overachiever me was like maybe three years but we're gonna get this down like in two you know and I and here I am I'm in you know year four and a half and I'm you know finally coming into very comfortable with who I am with what I'm doing in my life as a as a career 
in my relationship. Um, and, and coincidentally, that woman that I spoke about that I was drawn to is, is my partner. And we've been together for four plus years and, and we have an amazing relationship in a, in a way because realizing that this is a thing, I, it was one of the, I'm like, this feels so natural, not simply being intimate with another woman, but in every capacity, there were things that just felt so natural to me. Yeah. And and I also remember like what blew my mind is it felt like home and, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't like, I'm like, I have a home. I'm, you know, I was getting divorced by that point, but I have a home. I have children. I, that was, that's my home. And when I was with my wife for the first time, it was like, it just felt like, as you say, very natural and, mm-hmm. and right and not hard and I had some worries that like I never worried about like having sex with another woman because I was like yeah, sex is sex I'll figure it out but I did have some worries about some things and um it they all went away within mm-hmm. the first first um you know first time we first night we were together and mm-hmm. it's like and then as yeah. our relationship grew I realized like how much it felt like home and mm-hmm. and this was my home to me and, mm-hmm. and 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 in a lot and it in a lot of ways it has changed my own definition of home mm. and it also made me realize that I wasn't straight and I had never had been because I always felt just a little off I wasn't like the other straight mommies <laughs> and yeah. I couldn't figure out why but you know, but now I realize it's because I was a, a queer woman trying to live in a straight role. Yeah. And I think that I feel like I fit the straight role pretty well. Although when I talk to, you know, my partner, she'll be like, no, the first time I saw you, I knew at least you were bi. Like, and I'm like, what gave that away? Like I was, I was the straightest person I knew. Right. And, and, but she was like, there was, I, I, it was the way you walked, it was good the way game, that you dressed, yeah. it was the way that you carried yourself. I just knew I was so oblivious to that. In fact, a couple, a year or two, well, uh, several years before I had had my oh shit moment, I remember going through something with my then husband that was really big. And I just remember feeling, I told, I told myself something is wrong with me something is really wrong with me that I don't really like enjoy this. I just, and I remember thinking if, if anything were were to ever happen to him, I would not marry again. I would never marry a man again. I don't want to have sex with a man again, with a different man. And I, and I, you know, I loved this person deeply, but that aspect was just it. So many things came back to our, our intimacy and, and I just thought something is really, really wrong with me. I really thought, and then at the time didn't know and understand what asexual meant. But at the time I remember thinking I must be asexual because like, I just don't want this. And now you realize it was totally, well, you were, you were sleeping with the wrong gender for your sexual. I life. was with the wrong gender because even when I told myself that and thought I must be some other label, I knew that I had some desires going on. I knew that I, you know, I knew that there were things I'm like, but I, but it can't be something wasn't adding up, you know, after it was all said and done and sat down, we, we went through divorce. It happened very quickly. I didn't want it to happen as quickly as it did, but I also 
didn't want to continue having these really terrible, awful moments being home. Mm -hmm. And, and being with her was always like, it just felt so good and so safe and so normal and so easy. And so we ended up divorcing. It happened super quickly. And because of that, you know, we sat our kids down. We told them that we were getting divorced, but I was still, I was not ready to come out to them. And so I said, we can't tell them. I, I can't, I can't do that. Like, I can't, the thought of them rejecting me was so real and so big. And I just said, we can't tell them. And so we sat them down and told them. Irreconciled. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And we've, and we've tried and, and we will tell you, we just can't tell you about it right now, but we will tell you um, later. And it was a really shitty thing to do in a, in a lot of ways to tell our kids that way. And, and my youngest actually a couple of years ago said, that was really shitty the way you did that. And I was like, I know. I know it was, I'm so sorry. But within a month, I had gotten to the point that I was ready and I sat them down, just me. Do you want to hear the reason, you know, the, the biggest reason why your dad and I are getting divorced or going through the process? And they said, yes. And I said, I'm, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, I could, I just still couldn't say it to them, but it was so, you know, it was a really tender moment because, you know, my youngest at the time was like, well, I figured like, I thought so because I happened to see a book that you ordered on Amazon. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, <laughs> I had ordered, you know, I think it was, um, dear John, I'm in love with Jane. Yeah. And, um, and he was like, I thought that that was maybe my, you know, my sister's feminist book, but then I read what it was about and it made me wonder. And I was like, well, you, you got it. And then my, you know, my daughter said, well, that makes sense because, you know, we had told the kids like, look, it's not, there hasn't, there's not, it's not infidelity. It's not pornography. It's not gambling. It's, it's, it's none of those biggies. <laughs> it's this other biggie, but we can't talk about it yet. And she said, you know, it, you said it wasn't any of these things. And the only other thing I could think of was one of them is gay and it can't be my dad. And, I, and we just all laughed and I'm like, well, why did you think it was me? And she was like, well, look at you. Like you've got some purple hair, you've got tattoos, you have a nose ring, like it's you. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, it's sort of funny too. And I'm really glad, actually, even though it may have been hard for your children, I always feel like people should separate their divorce from their queerness. Because a lot of times when people, you know, tell their kids they're getting divorced and, oh, by the way, I'm gay, um, mm -hmm. it in, inevitably links the two. And, and also too, Amy, this isn't yours and your husband's story your queerness. Uh -huh. It's your story. Uh -huh. And so I think it's really, really important for them to, to have heard the story without him present, just you by uh -huh. yourself. Because it has not, your queerness has nothing to do with your husband. Nothing. That's true. You know? And so even though it, it was not, I mean, I don't think it was as shitty as you think it was, actually. I think that you're, I think it was really great that you told your children by yourself. You didn't do it in the same setting, sitting, mm -hmm. you know, and it gave them a couple of weeks or months to process the divorce yeah. before they heard the quote unquote reason, you know? And so I would love to hear, did you have a coming out song? You know, I had, I had several songs that were, 
I would not have labeled them my actual, like the coming out as a lesbian song, but they were more of my liberation from everything song. And that was um, two of Joss Stone's um, Free Me. Mm -hmm. And gosh, what was the other one? Um, something about being wrong. Like I could be wrong or now I can't remember what it was actually called. Two, two of her songs were, thing, were songs that I played every day. They really meant a lot to me and they got me through because it was like, I have a right to be wrong. Something like that. Like I have a right, I have a right to do this. I might be wrong. I might not. And this was not necessarily about my queerness. It was just about leaving the church, getting divorced, completely gutting my entire life as yes. I knew it. Yes. And I might be wrong about some of these things. And you know what? I got to do this. Mm -hmm. And, and the free me was just like, I have to be free to finally speak my truth, to be finally visible, not as the wind beneath his wings or playing like second fiddle or you know being the best supporting actress in my own life but like I am free to be me to be the actress in my life the 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 lead in all of these ways and and so that those were the the songs that I just listened to daily and did you have any books or movies that like not really so much about your coming out but really change your perspective of things I don't know if there were any specific movies. I remember at some point watching the movie Carol. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was like, look at this woman. Like, she is powerful. She is, she knows what she wants. There's, you know, and seeing myself in both of the, both of the women. Both of the roles, right? Right. Both of those roles. I was like, I see that. I can see that. I see. So that was, you know, that was eye-opening to finally see roles like that being played in a movie. And then I think as far as books, you know, there was, it was about coming out as, and homosexual and it was from a religious perspective. And I wish I could remember the name of that. I'd have to get that to you for your show notes maybe, but, mm -hmm. but that book was really helpful. In fact, my, my ex is the one who's like, you should read this book. That really helped me because it, it tied in with what he had already been teaching, like in our church, because we did have a gay uh, couple that, you know, were attending and it ruffled feathers and, and whatnot. And, and so we were, we were already having conversations about what that word means from the Bible and how it's, you know, mistranslated and misused and culturally what was going on at the time and all of these aspects of that. But the book was just one of those like okay it's in writing and I'm not just hearing it from my my husband yeah your husband reading right? it I'm reading it and I'm and it just absorbed it and I I'm, I apologize I don't have that the name of that oh. book on the top of my head but that was that was a big one and then the other one is is one that I always keep on my desk it's it's actually written by my coach it's called the Sex Seven Secrets to Enlightened Happiness and that was just a really deep rich like you just, you read a little bit at a time and it's, it was one of those like, whoa, this is just helping me know who I am and figure out what it is I want, I want for my life and how to be really happy in a different kind of way. So those were the so things that came. How would you describe your life now? Amazing. <laughs> um, free, liberated, powerful. 
I have an amazing relationship with this with this person who, you know, we were very different in a lot of ways. We have a pretty big age difference and we are both in a way coming into our own at the same time at different stages of our life, but doing it together. And it's, it's amazing. And I've had more support than I ever would have imagined. It shocked me. The, the support that I have from my family, those that I, the friends that I came out to were supportive. I had one, my best friend that I would have thought, you know, we're going to, what is it, Thelma and Louise? Like mm-hmm. we were that going to be that. Told her she seemed to be really accepting and then disappeared. Yeah. yeah. And other than that, though, the court has been amazing. And so it's like, I, I just get to be me. I just get to discover me, figure it out live, help people along the way, and just enjoy my life. As Congratulations. It is. That's a huge Thank achievement. You. And yeah, I know you do that great. work with helping other people do that same. And we'll have all the contact information for Amy at the end of the show notes. Amy, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. You are very welcome. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA plus stories with Anne-Marie Zanzel. New episodes of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast drop every other Friday. You can tune in at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at annemariezanzel.com. Be sure to hit subscribe when tuning in so you never miss an episode. And for more resources, articles, videos, and a free downloadable guide for coming out later in life, visit annemariezanzel.com.